You're listening to City Church. Good morning, City Church. I am so, so excited to be sharing with you this morning. Uh, If you're new here, my name is Justin. Welcome. If you're at our Bridgeport location, our New Haven location, I am uh, actually out of the... uh, out of the state this week. I'm just spending some time with my family this summer. And, uh, and so I had the privilege, though, of preparing this message and getting to share with, with you today. So I am super, super excited, though I can't be there physically with you, to have just an opportunity to pour out my heart and share this to you. I really, really believe that God is going to speak to you today. Um, I always look forward to these particular Sundays. We teach at City Church with a lot of series. So, you know, you'll kind of have a consistent theme for five, six, seven, eight weeks. But uh, this week, next week, it's kind of um, a little break from our series. And I just like to call it, you know, preach whatever you want Sunday. And so the things that have sort of been stirring and percolating in my mind for the last uh, few weeks or months, I get to really process through, pray and share with you. And so I really, really am excited about uh, about what I'm going to share today. I think God really is going to speak to you powerfully. So before we get started, just to turn to somebody on the left or somebody on the right that you don't know that well, find somebody you don't know, say hi, shake their hand, tell them it's good to see them, tell them they look look nice today. Go ahead, take 30 seconds to do that right now. Go ahead. All right, all right. If you have a Bible, go to Psalm 27. We're going to start there. Psalm 27. I'm going to start with two passages of Scripture today. Psalm 27, just one verse, starting in uh, just verse 4. Psalm 27. You ready? Here we go. It says this, written by the psalmist David. One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You can keep your hand there if you want and flip over to Luke chapter 10. If you have a Bible, Luke chapter 10. Starting in verse 38, Luke chapter 10, if you're new to the Bible, that first passage was written by David, Old Testament, written as a song or a hymn to God. The second one is an eyewitness account of the life of Jesus, written by Luke. So here we go, Luke chapter 10, verse 38, says this, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I'd like to title this message today, The One Thing. If you'd like to take notes, you can write that down. The one thing. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the opportunity in New Haven and in Bridgeport to gather as a family of believers. Thank you, God, that you've given me the privilege of communicating your word today. Jesus, I pray that you open up each of our hearts that we could hear from you. We didn't come here just to gather out of tradition. We came here for an encounter with Jesus. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray right now, loose your power and your presence over my friends in both locations and speak to us profoundly and clearly today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. This is going to be good. Amen. God wants to talk to you. Wherever I wander, wherever I roam, I couldn't be fonder of my big home. The bees are buzzing in the tree to make some honey just for me. When you look under the rocks and plants and take a glance at the fancy ants, then maybe try a few. The bare necessities of life will come to you. They'll come to you. 
Look for the bare necessities. The simple bare necessities. Forget about the worries and your strife. I mean the bare necessities. Old mother nature's recipes to bring the bare necessities of life. Maybe you're singing in your head right now. Think of the bare necessities. You've heard the song before you went to the uh, movie when you were a kid maybe. Or maybe you saw it at home if you're a little bit younger and you didn't see it in the movie theater. But you remember Jungle Book and you remember the bear and you remember how he taught him about the bare necessities. And it's interesting that for generations now, human beings have always understood the essence of the bear necessities. What does it mean, the bare necessities? It's those human necessities that we need to function, you know, as we live. And so things like food, things like clothing, things like shelter, things like sleep, things like air to breathe, right? So psychologists, medical scientists have been making these lists of the bare necessities, the things that human beings, you know, need, the non-negotiables. And it's amazing how far people will go to meet their bare necessities. Maybe you've heard the story in 1972, an airplane uh, flying over the Andes Mountains crashed and uh, the people that survived the crash were stranded in the middle of nowhere in sub-zero freezing temperatures in the Andes Mountains and all the rescue teams gave up on them. They couldn't find them. They gave up on finding them. And so these individuals, the majority of them that survived were part of a rugby team, had to figure out a way to survive and they began to starve to death. And so rather than starve to death, this small group, 16 people, decided that they were going to peel the skin off their friends and family members who had died in the plane crash and eat the flesh of those people so that they could have the substance to survive. Bare necessities. A little bit of a less serious story. When I was in college, I, uh, I used to order from uh, this particular pizza place all the time. And so we had it like on speed dial. We were constantly calling, you know, this pizza place. We basically survived off this pizza. And it was kind of a grimy, funky pizza place. You could get a large pizza for like four bucks or something ridiculous like that. And so one day, me and my roommate ordered a big, large, nasty, you know, cheese pepperoni sausage pizza. And we were in the elevator going back up to our, uh, our apartment in the, uh, in the school. And so as we're holding the pizza in our hands, it just smells like terrible cheap pizza does. And we open up the lid of the pizza and there on the pizza is a greasy, funky, nasty, blue ballpoint pen just rolling around amongst the, you know, uh, oils of the pizza. And in that moment, I looked at my roommate, my roommate looked at me, we looked back at the pizza, and just in the flash of a moment, he grabbed the ballpoint pen, threw it on the ground in the middle of the elevator and said, don't worry about that. And the two of us decided we were going to close the pizza and pretend like that nasty ballpoint pen had not just been rolling around on the pizza because the bare necessities of life were crucial for us and we needed to eat that pizza. And so I'm not going to lie, when I ate that pizza, I did have in the back of my mind, hmm, there was a greasy ballpoint pen that was stuck in some guy's ear that's been rolling around on my pizza and I'm kind of eating that right now. But when you're starving and when you're in college... You just make it work. You make it work. Turn to somebody and tell them, you got to make it work. You got to make it work. That's right. You got to make it work. And so in uh, ancient Near Eastern culture, way back 2,000 years ago, where we find this story in Luke chapter 10 taking place, it's important for us to know a little bit of the cultural obligation of hospitality, okay? And so hospitality meant that when a visitor from a foreign area or foreign land came to your home, you had a sacred obligation because the primary you know, uh, world that they lived in at that time was very nomadic. Everybody moved. Moving from one place to another, each person took on this sacred obligation 
to be hospitable to the stranger. And so in Luke chapter 10, Jesus rolls in, probably historians say probably with about 70 to 100 people. Okay, so this wasn't Jesus and his best buddy, John. This was Jesus and John and Andrew and Simon and on and on and on. About 100 dudes roll in. And so here they all come. They're packing into the house of Martha and Mary. And so the place is jammed. And so there's this woman, Martha, who's one of the two sisters that lives there. And she, you know, immediately, you know, clicks into go mode. You know, are there enough cups? Does everybody have silverware? You know, did, do you need a napkin? You know, uh, what, what, what can I get for you? Is there enough toilet paper? So she's kind of frantically running around trying to get everything done. The scripture says she's distracted by much serving and troubled by many things. Things. I mean, you probably would be too. Jesus just showed up at your house. The guy that you worship, the person that you believe is God incarnate, just showed up at your house and said, hey, can we hang out here for a little while? I mean, the natural inclination would be like, yeah, I've got to get this going. And so Martha's booking it around the house, trying to fix everything up and get it clean. And she gets annoyed because her sister Mary is just sitting at Jesus' feet doing nothing but listening to him. And so as she's going from thing to thing and trying to fix everything, she finally just gets frustrated and she asks Jesus, Jesus, why don't you just tell my sister to help me? She's not doing anything. Now, this is a crucial moment in our understanding. Jesus rebukes Martha. He rebukes her and he says basically, hey, you're missing the point. You're missing the one thing that is of necessity. That's what the scripture says. One thing that is necessary. It's very important for you and I to realize this morning as we gather in two locations, in two cities, that right now God is looking to talk to you. He's looking to talk to you. So just zero in with me one moment. He's looking to talk to you and reveal to you the simple truth that it's possible for you to be super busy with things that seem spiritual, but still in the midst of your busy serving, miss the one thing that is essential. The one thing that is important. See, on the outside, you can be serving God passionately, serving God diligently, and on the inside, you're still missing the one thing. See, we know about necessity when it comes to the physical, right? We know about necessity. So you know that you can't go very long without food. You can't go very long without water. It's no fun to go very long without shelter. And please don't go very long without clothing. But each of us knows and understands the necessities of life. Somebody say amen to that. The necessities of life that are crucial, right? That are important for us to keep. We understand the world systems of necessities and the way the world functions. Stay with this idea today. The way the world functions is this idea that your performance will eventually define your position. Okay, and so in other words, you perform, 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 perform. You build up the performance and then the necessities of life are given to you and then you expand beyond that. Let me give you an example. You're in school. You work really hard in school. You do really well on all the tests. You become first in your class and then you receive the position of valid Victorian or first in your class and then you're given maybe a scholarship to college and you have a position because of your performance, right? Another example, you work really hard at sales at your job and you outsell everybody else and you sell and sell and sell and you do so well, eventually you get promoted and now your position is from your performance, right? And so we understand the basic system. This is the air we breathe in our world. That position flows from performance. But now Jesus comes And he introduces an entirely new economy. All right. Stay with this idea. He introduces an entirely new economy. It says if anyone's in Christ, he's a new. Maybe, you know, the scripture, he's a new creation, something new. It says old things have passed away. 
all things become new. So now Jesus establishes what I would call a grace economy. Stay with this idea, a grace economy where no longer does performance lead to position, but now position leads to performance. Somebody light just turned on. In other words, the scripture says that in Christ, you are forgiven, you are accepted, you are sanctified, you are loved, you are adopted, you are given freely by faith position. Position before God, righteous and blameless because of the exchange of Jesus Christ on the cross. And if you're around City Church, you know we talk about that every now and then, right? And so this idea that position is given freely. Now, here's why so many of us struggle and don't break the habit of sin in our life. We think that our performance is going to gain us position before God, not realizing that God has given an entirely new economy to the functionality of humanity. And he says, I give you position. You believe that position. You receive that position and then from that position you learn flows a performance that is holy so grace teaches us holiness right so the position unlocks the capacity for the performance now in order for this idea this reality to be internalized there is one key necessity there is one bare necessity all right there's one key necessity it's not food it's not clothing it's not shelter there is one key spiritual necessity and that's what both of these passages psalm 27 and luke chapter 10 are referring to this one thing the one thing i said this today's talk is called the one thing one thing that is essential one thing that is indispensable one thing that cannot be lived without there's one thing so you can't live in christ okay you can't live the reality of your position in christ unless you internalize and consistently practice the one thing all right the one thing so what is it what is the one necessity is it reading your bible is the one thing reading your bible is the one thing prayer is the one thing giving money Some people would lead you to believe that is the one thing that you must do to internalize the reality of the gospel is that one thing evangelism is that one thing learning to preach. You know, if I learn to preach, if I learn to sing, if I learn to run hard for God, if I learn to stand, what is the one thing? Well, all you've got to do is mimic what Mary did. See, the one thing stay with me today. The one thing is to learn to sit at the feet of Jesus. That's the one thing, to cultivate a lifestyle by which you learn to sit at Jesus' feet. See, in the economy of grace, in the economy of grace, sitting at Jesus' feet continually is the one indispensable necessity. If you are ever, stay with me today, if you are ever to internalize and practice the reality of your position in Christ, you must learn the secret. And here's where I think so many of us fail. You must, follower of Christ, learn the secret of the necessity of the one thing, learning to sit at the feet of Jesus. Learning to sit at the feet of Jesus. See, that posture describes humility, teachability, faith. David understood the one thing better than most of us, honestly. David understood the covenants of grace in a powerful, genuine, honest, applicable way. And so we see David in the Old Testament in Psalm 27 describing the one thing. And so he says, one thing I ask of the Lord that I may seek, that I may dwell 
in the house of the Lord. I want to dwell in your house. I want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And then he says, I want to inquire or meditate in your temple. And so today I want to kind of open up a little bit of my own journey for you and uh, share a little bit of my process with the one thing I am. Um, I felt compelled, you know, to uh, to just sort of in on this off Sunday, take some of the things that God has done deeply in me and just dump them on you. And some of you are going to leave today and say, oh, well, that was nice and never apply any of it. But there's going to be a few. Look at me today. There's going to be a few that you catch this stuff. And I'm telling you that if this stuff begins to get applied, you will cultivate inside of your heart this one thing sitting at the feet of Jesus. And when that becomes a reality inside of you, then the beauty of the gospel, your position flows out into a life of performance. In other words, holiness comes out of this understanding of grace. That struggle with sin that you've been battling with, you can't seem to break. Herein lies the secret for how to break that. And I want to just share and dump on you just a little bit of my process, a little bit of my story, pull out some of my personal archives on uh, on how I've processed this over the last 10 and 15 years. And hopefully, um, as I kind of give you some of my guts Uh, God will speak to you because I can be honest, I've often wandered away from the one thing. Maybe you have right now. Maybe you're sitting listening to this sermon at our Bridgeport location or New Haven. And the honest truth is that you've wandered from the one thing as well. You read your Bible, maybe, or maybe you pray or maybe you do some spiritual activity. You attend church. You go through the routines. But look at me today. Maybe it's just become routine. Maybe it's just become that there's no spark, there's no vibrancy, there's no life. You've lost the one thing, friend. You've lost the one thing sitting at the feet of Jesus. So let me describe for you what that means. How do I stay at the feet of Jesus? You've got to learn to linger, learn to delight, and learn to explore. Let me explain these. Number one, learn to linger. Learn to linger that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. This is what David says. So you must learn to linger, dwell in the house of the Lord. You know, uh, do we have any dog people in the house today? You love dogs? Let me see your hand. Go ahead, raise your hand if you love dogs. I'm not really a dog guy, but uh, maybe you are. Maybe you love dogs. But uh, scientists have studied the brains of dogs, and they found that uh, the scent of the master lingers like a perfume in the dog's brain for an extended period of time. And as soon as the dog catches the scent of their master, it triggers an immediate emotional response. So you know how smell can do that, right? It lingers in your mind. It kind of stays with you. And for some reason, dogs, of course, they have a sense of smell about a hundred times a human being possibly. And so they have this super heightened sense of smell. And as soon as they catch the scent of their master, an emotional response clicks inside of them because that scent lingers in their mind. Do you have a scent that has lingered in your mind over the years? Maybe it has. I know for me, you know, the other last week I went camping with my dad and, uh, you know, gave me a hug and, and you know, you, I can smell Old Spice deodorant on my dad and he's used it forever. And, you know, and so like that, like I smell that it triggers my childhood. Like it's my dad, you know, it, this particular type of Old Spice, whatever it is, you know, just smells like dad. And maybe there's smells like that that triggers certain responses for you. But David says that he dwells in God's house. See how personal that is, how intimate that is. I've learned to dwell. I've learned to linger in the house. We see Mary and, you know, I mean, it's not like she was, you know, uh, socially unaware. 
She understood that there was silverware to wash, that there were napkins to pass out. She understood that those things needed to be done. But Mary had such a conviction that she said, you know what? It's more important for me. Hello. It's more important for me to linger with God than to fulfill some social obligation. You're here today, and for some reason, many of us, it's so easy for us to linger at the movies, so easy for us to linger on a project, so easy for us to linger on some personal hobby, but where are those who have learned the scent of their master and learned to linger where their master is? That's what God is looking for. Stay where he is. What does this mean? It means that when we sing songs as a congregation, we sing them not because of obligation, not because they're nice phrases to repeat, but because we want to stay. We want to say, God, we know that sitting at your feet is the one thing that enables us to experience the reality of the gospel and our position in Christ. And so we linger here. We linger here. Do you linger in your time with God? Do you have time with God? And if you do, is it this mechanical thing where you read the Bible, you pray, you do your thing, and you move on? Have you learned the secret of how to linger in His presence? You know, I can tell you um, some of the sweetest moments in my life are when I linger with God. Sometimes I'll just take a walk, you know? Just take a walk with God. And I'll just be walking and um, I don't have an agenda. I don't have 16 things to pray for. I'll just look up at God and just say, Hey God. Hey God. What are, you, um, what are you doing in me right now? What are you saying to me right now? And I've just learned the process of just lingering with Him. Just lingering. Hey um, God, what, what's going on? I'm just going to sit here in silence, and if you don't say anything, that's cool. And if you speak, that's cool. Either way, God, I'm just going to linger here. When's the last time you just lingered with God? Has it been a long time? When's the last time you just lingered with God? David goes on to describe the one thing. He says to delight he says, first to, to, to dwell in the house of the Lord, right? And then he says, I want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. I love that phrase. I want to gaze upon the beauty of an invisible God, right? I want to gaze upon the beauty of the world. Lord, it's this Hebrew word, chazah. Go ahead and say it with me one time. You got to get the phlegm. Chazah. Go ahead, try it out. Chazah. There you go. Chazah. That's good. Right. So to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord to Chazah, it means to look steadily with interest, with pleasure and with wonder. That's what it means to look steadily with interest, pleasure and wonder. Now, this is similar to lingering, but it takes it even a step farther. It's not just lingering. It's lingering with a certain other piece to it. Uh, you know that feeling when you gaze upon something with wonder? I mean, I remember years ago I was in Iceland. And I remember we walked up. I'll never forget this moment. We were in this, this high-rise building. And as we walked up the building, we got out of the elevator. And it had this huge open window. And as, it, as we walked out of the elevator onto the floor, we looked out the window. And there were these massive captivating, glorious mountains. And I remember that in that moment, I was just chazah. I was just like, wow. And I didn't need to go anywhere. I didn't want to do anything. I just wanted to gaze 
upon the beauty of those mountains. See, the second thing you have to learn, if you want to understand the one thing, how do I sit at the feet of Jesus? Yes, you must, you know, in every way learn to linger, but you also must learn to delight. Learn to delight. In other words, learn to enjoy the moment with God. Learn to delight in the fact that He's God. Do you delight over God? How do I do that? How do I do that? Studies have found that, uh, that married couples over time start to unconsciously mimic the facial expressions of their spouse. In other words, you know, the husband starts to make the same facial expressions that the wife makes and the wife starts to make the same facial expressions that the husband makes over time. And so they actually start looking like one another in their expressive, you know, in the, way, the ways they express themselves. They actually start looking at one another. Married couples, you can just look at one another now and just kind of say, wow, yeah, I do kind of look like you, don't I? And there's this thing that happens between the two of them because... Because they've spent a lot of time, chazah, they've spent a lot of time gazing at one another. And in that process, you rub off on each other. Second Corinthians tells us that we're to behold the glory of the Lord. And when we do that, we're transformed into his image. And so this daily delight, you know, how can you do that? I'm going to give you some resources before you leave today by meditating upon the scriptures that declare your identity, that meditating upon the truths of who God has called you to be by meditating upon the beauty of his nature and his character by meditating on the power and the freedom of your old life. You know, when you sit alone and you say sin will not have dominion over me because I'm not under law anymore, the old system of perform and then you have position. I'm not under law. This is Romans six, but I'm under grace. The system that says position is given and then performance flows from it. And so as you meditate upon that, as you delight in that, hey, God loves me. I don't know if I feel like he loves me right now, but I believe that he loves me because he said it says in scripture that he so loves me. And I meditate upon that truth. And as I meditate upon it, as I delight in it, I'm transformed into his image. Do you meditate? Do you delight? Do you linger? So David says, one thing I've asked the Lord, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all days of my life, that I may be- behold or gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And then he says, and inquire in his temple. This is kind of cool since the temple hadn't been built yet, right? If you know your history, the temple hadn't even been built yet. So he wasn't talking about a physical place. He was saying, I get to inquire before God in heaven. God, I can ap- appeal to you straight into heaven. And here's the third thing I want to encourage you to learn to do as you focus on the one thing of sitting at Jesus' feet. Learn to explore. Learn to explore. Learn to explore. See, many of us read the scripture like it's a textbook. You know, like we just kind of say, you know, well, I mean, I read this part and I read that part because I'm supposed to. I read this part and I read that part because I'm supposed to. And, and I want to encourage you, instead of reading it like it's a textbook, instead of reading it like it's some, you know, kind of bland routine, instead of that, seek the scent of your master. Instead of that, sit at his feet, teachable. Open it slowly and say, Lord, would you breathe on this? Today I'm going to linger. Today I'm going to delight in your scripture. Today, God, I'm going to explore what you say about me. Would you give me a sense of your will? See, so many of us would say, well, Justin, that sounds nice, but you don't understand how busy I am. You've missed it. You're not too busy to eat, are you? You're not too busy to sleep. You're not too busy to have a house. How can you be too busy for the one thing, the one spiritual necessity to sit at the feet 
of Jesus. What I want to press you today is to spend time every day sitting at his feet to learn the secret of what it means to access the one necessity that your soul needs more than food, more than clothing, more than shelter, more than air. That's why Jesus said, don't you see it? That's why he said man cannot live on bread alone. He said, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, you may not realize it, but you are starving to death. You may not realize it, but you are freezing amongst the elements because you're not living in the shelter of the Most High. You might not realize it, but there's one thing that's necessary for you. You remember the rich young ruler. Maybe you remember the story. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you know the commandments, don't you? And he said, I've done them all from my youth. And Jesus said, you lack one thing. You lack one thing. See, it wasn't about money. Many rich people went to heaven. It wasn't about money. It was that he never sat at the feet of his master. He never understood what it meant to be teachable, what it meant to be fully submitted. And so he grabbed onto the God of money and he didn't practice the one thing. You remember Apostle Apostle Paul in Philippians 3 where he says, listen, I count everything lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. And then he says, one thing I do, there it is again, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind straining what lies ahead. I press on for the mark. In other words, what he's saying is I'm going to keep my eyes on Christ. I'm going to gaze upon him. I'm going to inquire of him. I'm going to sit at his feet. See, in the economy of grace, the one thing is a non-negotiable. It's a non-negotiable. It's the most important thing. It's the bare necessity. You must do it. You must do it. If grace is going to work in your heart, you must learn to daily, consistently sit at the feet of Jesus. Let me teach you something today. In moments of temptation, the greatest thing you can do is get down on your, on your knees and sit at His feet and say, Hey God, I'm pretty tempted right now. I'm just going to look at you. I'm going to look at my position that you've given me in Christ. I'm going to look at the authority that you've given me in Christ. I'm going to gaze upon who you are. I'm going to stand in moments of promotion. One of the most important things you can do is get down and sit at His feet and gaze upon Him Dwell and linger. Delight in Him, not in the promotion. Because if you are not careful, that promotion is going to become your idol and become your God. And you're going to cling to it more than you cling to Him. In moments of lack, in moments of abundance, in moments of busyness, the one thing, the one thing, the one thing. I want to encourage you today. I wanted to get super, super practical today. And uh, I have this folder. Here it is. It's blue. It's my folder. I've had it for a long time. In fact, I've had this folder, not this one because I shred them over time, but uh, I've had a folder like this for um, probably uh, about 15 years. And, and, you know, I have a Bible and I have an, a journal or a notebook that I write things down in. But if you have a Bible and you have a journal, those are both great. I encourage you to get a folder. I encourage you to get a folder. And in this folder, I have just super basic, interesting Things that help me access the one thing on a daily, consistent basis. I don't go a day without opening this folder. And when I open it, I practice and process simple truths. So how do I delight in the Lord? I delight in the Lord by meditating on who I am in Christ. And so I have a list of who I am in Christ written out scripture by scripture that I am God's possession, that I am God's child, that I am God's friend, that I am God's temple, that I've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. And I delight in who he is by meditating upon those things. How do I linger with the Lord? I 
linger with the Lord by meditating on His nature. And so I say, God, you're omnipotent. God, you are good. God, you are love. God, you're my provider. God, you're my peace. I meditate upon His temple. How do I explore in the Lord? I explore by taking the Scripture and praying it back to God. And so I pray for harmony amongst believers. I pray for a mind of discernment. I pray for the knowledge of His will. All with the Scriptures that teach us those prayers. And so thing after thing, I make declarations over my life. I set the course for what is true in my life. I declare God's victory. And every day I meditate upon these things. You know, I've been doing it for 15 years and they haven't gotten old yet. And I'm always adding new things as God reveals them to me. Do I read the scripture every day? I try my best to read the scripture and process the scripture every day. I'm reading 1 Kings right now, just processing and reading the scripture. It's God speaking to me. But in the midst of that daily Bible reading and daily prayer, I have daily time to linger, delight, and explore and meditate upon the Lord, the one thing, sitting at His feet. And so what we did today is we made a packet. I pulled from my archive, all right? And I gave you some secret, sacred things that God has used in my life in a consistent way. And we made just kind of very basic packets. And as you leave today, both locations, if you visit the welcome table, there's going to be a packet there. And uh, we're going to post it online later today. And so you can get it off our website on our blog or whatever. But but uh, I want to give you some of these things because in the summer months right now, as many of us are going different directions and doing different things, taking time to rest, enjoy the weather, that's all good. Wouldn't this be a perfect time to learn a new discipline of this one thing, this delight in the Lord, this sitting at His feet, intimacy with Jesus. Look at this. Intimacy with Jesus produces fruitfulness in your life. And so I want to urge you today, develop this habit of the one thing. Now, this folder is not exhaustive. I'm always adding new things. I'm always adding different things that God is teaching me. But these basic practices have helped me consistently meditate upon the Lord, gaze upon his beauty, dwell with him. This one thing, Jesus, my delight. Look at me today. I want to make this deposit in your soul this morning. If you're here today and maybe you're new to faith in Christ, maybe you've just recently trusted that Jesus has forgiven your sins. I've got really good news for you. The good news is that Jesus wants to be personal in your life. He wants to speak to you. He wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to talk to you every day and walk with you. How do you develop that relationship? Take time every morning, every evening. Take time just to pause from the busyness of life and dwell upon his truth. This packet that we're giving you at the welcome table will get you started. Maybe you're here today and you've been a Christian for 30 years and you say, Justin, I've done it all. I've prayed this. I've done that. I've done this and done that. That's fine. But it's possible to be so busy with the work of the Lord. This is a word for somebody today. It's possible to be so busy with the work of the Lord that you've lost your love for the Lord. You're not with Him intimately. I can say honestly and humbly before all of you that there have been times in my life I've been so busy with the work of God that I've lost that beautiful kononia, that fellowship, that intimacy with God, that daily communion, that delight, that lingering, that exploration. And if you're here today and maybe you've got all the right answers, you need a jolt. You need a jolt of this type of one thing in your life. And I urge you, take this packet, begin to meditate upon these truths, develop and cultivate this in your own life. Maybe you're here today and you're far from God. I've got great news for you. Look at me just for a second. Today is your day to be made right with Him. 
Today is your day to turn the keys over of your life to him. See, true delight can't be found anywhere but in God. True life can't be found anywhere but in God. If you're here today and you find yourself far from him because of sin, because of some failure, because you haven't believed, I want to urge you today, this is your day to cross the line of faith and put your trust in Christ. How do I do that? What do I do? The scripture says that God loves you so much personally. The God that created the universe is real And he loves you so much that he came in human flesh. He lived a perfect life and became a substitute for your sin so that now God could give you the position of child of God, forgiven, loved, washed of all your past, forgiven of all your sin from the day you were born to the day you die. And from that position, you would learn the beautiful joy of holiness. If you're here today, before you leave this room, I want to urge you to say yes to Christ if you're far from him. Could we all pray together today? Would you bow your head and pray with me today? Father, thank you. Thank you for what you're speaking to us. Thank you for what you're doing in us. Thank you for City Church. And thank you for this word of the one thing. I thank you, God, that even right now as we move into a time of worship, we get to dwell in your presence right now. Father, I pray that we wouldn't rush out of there because we have some lunch meeting or because we got something to do. I pray that you would teach us to linger even when our flesh screams because we're not used to sitting still or standing still. God, even when our mind wanders, I pray that you teach us again and again to linger, to delight. Father, that you would give us that exploration in our hearts to explore who you are, to understand the manifold wisdom of God. Holy Spirit, I welcome you into your house right now, into each person's heart and life. I welcome you right now. Would you do a work among us as we lift up the name of Jesus together in Jesus' name. If God is using this ministry in your life, we would love to hear from you. Email us at mystory@ourcitychurch.org. For more information about the church, visit www.ourcitychurch.org.